It's interesting because as a brewer, you can kind of take inspiration from so many places, but it's a really cool profession to be involved in because everyone's kind of working towards the same goal, and that is just coming out with really unique beer. Welcome to Ruben's Cyclas. I'm Adam Robbings. I'm Matt Lutton. And today is episode five and the last episode of this season three. And today we're going to speak to uh, the Great Notion uh, team. So Andy, James and Paul, the, the three founders from, from Great Notion. I think you'll hear that it's a lot of fun chatting with them. Um, <laughs> and we were sober as well. So there, was <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't uh, any... Uh, any beer involved in, on our side. So I first met Andy, James, and Paul back um, in 2017, or it may have been the end of 2016, when we were planning the three-way collab, uh, which is an annual beer that Fort George, Fort George does. And Fort George invited us and Georgetown the same year to to do that collaboration beer with them. You know, Fort George are awesome. They they had us all down for two days into Astoria and um, we were going through the beer and, and, and innovating on it. And it was just such a lot of fun and we all got on really well. And it's, um, you know, it's been since then, really, that, that beer was released in 2017. Um, I'll never forget the release party at our brewery where um, I was rapping. <laughs> no, I wouldn't call it rapping, but some sort of some sort of weird music show with Conrad inside. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's something online on Facebook that you can see. I have that picture somewhere. <laughs> I'll <put> it out there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh it, that was that was funny. But um yeah, so uh we you know, we met each other then and and then kept in touch and uh we brewed a collab with Great Notion um couple of years later i think double cookie dunk uh, imperial stout um based off of uh, a certain great cookie <laughs> and uh and then um we're, we're actually planning another beer beer with them right now um so i need to get my act in order and get that sorted but um and they're also a neighbor to ours now in ballad so they're on the, they're on the kitty corner from us and um i think they just opened recently for for on on premise um you know at lower capacity but you know when we can get through the uh, the covid um impacts of things it's going to be great having our friends so close so let's uh let's get to the the meat of the podcast so this is andy james and paul from great notion yeah so if each of you want to just say your name and and what your role in the brewery is sure i'll go just because i'm looking at the corner of my screen and i'm at the top in some random order that, that my computer picked but yeah paul Ryder, ceo i do the boring business stuff andy miller i uh, am run the production facility i seem to most of the time be in charge of collaborations uh but that's not necessarily my title <laughs> Um, I'm James Dugan, and I, I run our Alberta Street Brew Pub, which is our seven barrel pilot facility. So that was a lot more formal than we've ever been before. I think. <laughs> you know? um, how about um, how about we start at the start? So, like, how did Great Notion start? I mean, I know obviously because we've spoken a lot, but how about if somebody doesn't know know the story of homebrewing and across the street and stuff? <laughs> Well, I think maybe you should call on us like a teacher or else we might fall <laughs> over there. Yeah. Only if you raise your hand though, Paul. <laughs> Who tells this story the best? Let's see. I mean, actually, so I'll start. <laughs> we uh 
all three of us lived on the same block until, I don't know what, two months ago, Paul? Sure. Yeah, this um, summer. Paul moved off the block. But uh, it kind of started, there was this block party that we would have every year that predated any of us living on the street. And our neighbors started inviting us, us to it. And uh, somehow James and I eventually would get roped into, we would brew five gallons of beer, each of us for this block party every year. And we would serve this at the block party. And that's how, that's where we met Paul. And uh, yeah, I guess James and I kind of became friends because of homebrewing and, and we had, I had a one-year-old kid. I think that's when I met James at my one-year-old kid's birthday party. And, you know, we had kind of talked about brewing beer a little bit. James didn't seem very impressed. He he seemed to keep to himself and uh, wasn't very impressed with me. But uh, <laughs> but over the years, we became better and better friends. And uh, at some point, I, I was doing some work on my house and had to move the homebrew equipment out of my house. Uh, and we we moved to this apartment, so there was like no way for me to brew. And uh, during that time, that's when James and I started brewing together on the weekends, and uh, kind of just worked started working on recipes together. And um, some point in there, Paul Paul was asking us why we weren't selling beer. And I guess maybe one of you guys can take over the rest of the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I was blown away. I'd never seen or heard of a hazy IPA before, and this is 2014. You know, and I think James can elaborate on what he was doing, but it was, you know, an early version of, of juice box, JB double IPA. And he can talk about how he did that and all, but that blew my mind. I had never had a beer like that before. You know, I personally was one of those guys that I didn't really like IPAs. I thought they were too bitter and I would, I would say they were too hoppy, even though we probably dry hop with five times as many hops as they used to, um, just do it in a different way, of course. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, why aren't you guys doing this professionally? You know, let's, let's do this, man. I'd, I'd love to help you guys get started. I'd love to be an, you know, an early investor and, and help you guys figure this stuff out. I just got an MBA. I love to talk to banks and lawyers and love social media and all that fun. Um, yeah. So, that's, so let's start, let's start meeting up and, and working together on this. And so every Wednesday we started to meet and have beers and, and work on a business plan. I think they had already had a start business plan, but you know, I was able to kind of help uh condense it into more of like a nice pitch deck a powerpoint type of thing and start talking to some potential investors and banks and james what were you doing where'd that where'd that hazy ipa come from <laughs> well one piece that paul's leaving out is is um <clears throat> adam you know this as as a home brewer you know a lot of people tell you how you should be selling it you should be selling this you should be selling this right but no one's like hey i got money <laughs> you know <laughs> And while Paul wasn't like, I personally have the money, he was like, I can get the money. (laughs) And um, I don't, no one had ever told me that. And I was like, wow. And and I think Andy and I were both kind of like, who is this guy? You know, living at the end of the street. We got got to sit down and talk to this guy. We were were planning a three barrel brewery and a gas (laughs) station that was falling down. It would have been a disaster. Was was there a, yeah. was there a push which led you to decide to open the brewery or or was it just like an just a gradual sort of thing that just built? James got kicked off at Etsy. I think no, that's eBay. of eBay. eBay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah, did you I was, do? Um, <laughs> I had been like a barber by trade, but then I was when my um, I had a newborn at home and 
I think my wife was pregnant with our second. And um, so I started printing T-shirts in my basement. And um, I'm a deadhead. And I was printing these Grateful Dead designs with like some NFL team like logos involved. <laughs> <laughs> and eBay was like, no, 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 you can't do that. So I remember going over to Andy's house and giving him a haircut. And I was complaining to him about how I got kicked off of eBay <laughs> and um, how I owed them all this money and shit. So uh, I was like, man, we we should probably just open a brewery, you know. And uh, it was like this silence for a minute. And I was, He's like, are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, man. So Andy, Andy's wife um, is an attorney, has a great background in, in just documenting or um, some of those forms and documents. Like Andy and I would try to figure that stuff out. Man. And it just, we weren't getting a lot of traction. So Paul really coming into the picture was a, was a pretty important part of the, the piece for us. So. so I heard Andy say multiple times block party in his sort of the this, this story and it's like made me think well why aren't you called block party brewing and that's <laughs> how did how did you come up with your name yeah <laughs> i feel like maybe we thought about that name at one point did you? <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely make a beer called block party should, and, yeah and then should. we we really should thanks for that called block party a when few we, years back whenever we have to go trademark that real quick <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> charge us double. I, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you have that one <laughs> But Andy and I were both like brewing a lot of different beers. He Andy had been brewing for a long time. Um, I, I think, you know, back in college and stuff. I started brewing uh, mostly because I was trying to trade beers and get some of these beers that were like inspiring and really delicious. And I was trading on Beer Advocate and stuff. And um, for a while, I lived in California before I moved up here and was drinking lots of Plenty the Elder. Um, so my first brew kit I, I bought was a Pliny the Elder double IPA. And um, that was my first brew and it, it was all right, you know, but then I did an Abyss clone, uh, which is from Deschutes. And I think that was the, the beer that I shared with Andy um, at his son's first birthday party. But yeah, you know, I was trading for Hetty Topper and um, Hill Farmstead and some of the early hazy stuff. And I'm not a biologist by any means, but I was trying to propagate yeast from dregs from the from the cans and you know that that went okay for a little while but very soon after you could start buying that yeast you know um and it it was kind of hush hush for a while like what that was and i think a lot of breweries still don't talk about what their yeast is specifically we're, we're very open about that you want to just say what we use right now for the record <laughs> well the it originated from boddington's and then it became um why yeast uh 13 18 and then it became um, White Labs London Fog, I believe is what they call it. But we use a local yeast company called Imperial Yeast. And um, they're, they call it A38 or juice. The juice, yeah. 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 But uh, I've drank my fair share of bodies back in uh, England. <laughs> mm-hmm. Boddington's. But the thing is, Boddington's. Yeah, I'd is- love to know if it actually did, if, if that's really where it came from. I mean, it, that's what I've heard. Did you, have you heard about that too, Adam? I, I, yeah, I've heard that. But bodies is totally yeah. bright. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like see through, yeah. like filtered. Um, it, yeah, it also doesn't have a lot of hops in it, though, so no, that could no. be part of the it's equation, you know. Part of it. So, how did you come up with the name? That was my wife that came up with that. Yeah, I mean, we it it's that's the hardest part is coming up with a brewery name. I mean, it's not. It's not just like a beer where if somebody else has it, 
you can just change the name of it and it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, it would be majorly bad if you're a year in and you got to change the name of your brewery. Yeah. So it, we kicked around some really weird ideas for a while. And, uh, I, I don't remember how it came about, but my wife just said, you know, we're in Oregon, like, you know, how about like the Ken Kesey novel, sometimes a great notion. And we all said great notion and it just stuck. Any, any of those names that didn't, didn't make the cut that you want to share? <laughs> well, one thing that was funny, uh, we took your model a little bit, Adam, and, um, we were trying to combine our kids' names. Do you remember that, Andy? <laughs> I do, yeah. I thought it was really cool. And James was like, yeah, I love my kids, but I don't love them that much. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, one, was, uh, one was Totem, which I'm really glad we didn't do, oh, yeah. uh, especially in 2021. And we called up, who's the guy that has the Totem Pale Ale? You guys know him. He's Seattle, Seattle Brewery. He's, it's up there by you. I met him at your, uh, like one of your little parties, Adam. And he, we called him up and tried to ask him if we could use that name. And he was like, no, absolutely not. But when I met him, I thanked him for not letting <laughs> did it. You really? That's so I did. <laughs> there was actually another group of people from Portland that registered an LLC called Great Notion. And they bought the domain Great Notion. And we, Great Notion Brewing, actually. Uh, they still own greatnotionbrewing.com. They don't want to sell it to us. Uh, but luckily, we were able to just buy Great Notion anyway and get rid of the PDX. And now we just own Great Notion, which is way better. Um, but I remember I hit them up and we're like, hey, are you going to actually do a brewery? Are you just still talking about it? And Because I found their name through register.com or whatever, you know, figured, or whois.com and called them. And they're like, uh, we might. We're thinking about it. And I was like, well, we're serious. If you're serious, let us know. We'll step back. But if you're not, you know, we want to get it from you or, or move ahead. And then I was like, call me back, please. And then a, two, a week went by or two weeks. I called them again. I sent them an email. They never got back to me at all. So we just went ahead. We registered. We got everything official. And they never did anything. And then like years later, they still refused to sell us the domain. But they never did anything. So whatever, dude. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> so Adam, it was Black Raven. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And then what, what was the other one, James? You sent me like a... Um, seahorse one day one yeah you were like both of us are stay-at-home dads and we take care of our kids and seahorses the, <laughs> yeah. the dads take care of their kids i wouldn't yeah, find yeah. a seahorse brewing <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, hey you know <laughs> you gotta work through it it's a process you know? <laughs> it, it yeah. is it is yeah you, well it's you know process. our story where well, we ended up with Rubens is the name, right? So I, I, we didn't have any time. We were going to pour at this commercial festival as homebrewers. And the day before they're going to print the program, they say, oh, what what, um, uh, what name should we call you? I thought, and we didn't really think about that. Just Grace and Adam, like that is, didn't work. So we just, that night we came up with, oh, let's just call it after Ruben because that's when I started brewing. And then we kind of got lock, kind of got locked in from there. So it wasn't, we didn't have the luxury, so to speak, of, of at or or we, I wish we did have some time to like think about it because we wouldn't have named our son such an awkward way to spell a word if, if we thought about it consciously, <laughs> let alone the brewery, right? <laughs> but um, now and now you have another kid too, though, right? Yeah, so now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you have to start a cidery or seltzery or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, "Why is it not called Warren's Brews?" Yeah, he's, he's, and he was three years old then. It's like, oh, um, what about um? Okay, so then, so you've got the idea you've got obviously probably working on beers you you went through the idea of the three barrel and the 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 old um gas station i think you said or the old shop but you open in alberta right so maybe you could just explain that because that used to be a, a a brew pub right and ashton you you um 
that are closed, sure. yeah, we, right? So we started looking, you know, right after we decided what we were going to do and figured out roughly how much money we could raise, we, we definitely started looking at all options, like purchasing a building, renting a building and building out a brewery from scratch or just looking to potentially acquire someone. And the third option really just fell in our laps. You know, we we were close to potentially buying a building around the corner from where we all lived, which would have been nice to walk to work, right? Five blocks away, that would have been pretty sick for us. <laughs> but the building definitely would have needed a lot of work. So we would have had to raise a lot more capital to put into it because I don't think they were willing to give enough tenant improvements that we needed. Um, but luckily through the company, I was working in tech, I was doing tech sales and I would hit our CEO up for some money to see if he wanted to invest. <laughs> and he tasted the beers, he loved them. And his administrative assistant uh, overheard and kind of knew that I was talking to Steve about investing. And she told me, she's like, hey, by the way, you know, my husband's best friend uh, owns a, a small brewery that might be for sale. Right. And, you know, so we started she introduced us. We started talking to the guy, Christian. He told us he was looking to get out because, you know, his, his family was his mother was really sick. It turned out later on down the line, we found out is because he wanted to get into cannabis. But yeah, he had a brewery for sale in Alberta and they had beer that wasn't so great and food that wasn't so great. And we were able to acquire that business at a, a relatively decent amount of money for Alberta Street, which is a super popular tourist destination in Portland. Yeah. And to this day, we're still the only brewery on that street. So I I personally thought it was worth it just to get that lease alone, like right on Alberta Street in, a, in an awesome position, um, let alone have the seven barrel brew house there too. So we, yeah, so we took it over in July 27th, uh, 2015. And you opened in the January after that? Or what, when did you open? We brewed our, brewed our first beer in December of 2015. And yeah, pretty much January 1st, I think we served our first Great Ocean beer. But the, the amazing thing for anyone out there who's thinking of getting into this industry, the amazing thing was that the business was never even closed for a day because we acquired it and kept all the employees on and just ran it, you know, as part of the acquisition, we acquired his inventory of beer. So he still had a bunch of beer kegs for us to serve and barrels of beer for us to serve. So, you know, the next day we were still open. All the employees, we told all the employees, you still have a job. Nothing's going to change right away. Just business as normal, right? So, so we got to sell through that beer. Some of it we realized sucked and we dumped it or put it in the barrels or whatever we did. But it was nice to still have that revenue stream coming in. And we had some articles written about us because we brought in some cool like guest taps and people started to say we were a cool new beer bar. But it was also equally awkward from a business perspective because we weren't great notion yet. We couldn't serve our own beers that people were talking about because we started bringing in cool guest taps and making changes to the fries and the service and whatever else. So it was an awkward six months. Did you plan to have a, a restaurant? Like, Was that the plan? Or no. Because that... that's a big deal. Like Most breweries right. don't, right? So maybe you just explain... Uh, James, you want to do that? this and you can talk about Ryan and, and whatever? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, when I was living in the Bay Area and San Francisco, I was living in, in Berkeley and I met a guy through a band that uh, I was friends with and we were, I was doing sound for them and he was the bass player. And um, we became really good friends. His name's Ryan and he, he's currently the director of restaurant operations for our company in, in Portland. He fell in love with a girl uh, who was visiting from Portland. He he told the band that he was going to be moving up to Portland. So we were all pretty bummed about that because he was a good bass player and we had a cool thing going on. Everyone in the band started talking to their significant others like about maybe moving up to Portland to keep the band <laughs> together. <laughs> and that's what happened, honestly. Wow. We all we all moved up to Portland. And um, we played a few shows up here. And then basically all 
our partners got pregnant right around the same time and um family started happening and um the band fizzled out never really had any traction anyway we were like a psychedelic rock band that no one up here wanted anything to do with that <laughs> <laughs> so um ryan and i kind of went separate separate ways and uh he, he had a job cooking actually on alberta street at a different restaurant and when we took over even though it had been about a year or two years since we had talked i stopped by and saw him and asked him for some advice and he he was excited for me and came over and he sat down with Paul and Andy and I, and we um, started talking about like the menu and what he could maybe do to give us some advice. Cause we had no idea what we were doing when it came to food. And um, after asking for more and more advice, he was just like, dude, come on, just hire me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did. So we did. brought him on board and he's, he's been a, you know, an in- integral part of our um, company ever since. He does way more than just the restaurant stuff at this point. He's kind of the number four guy behind us three now. Yeah, he's, he's so technically he's our not correcting but type, but he's our CEO. He's literally like our top and number one employee. But the funny thing, the reason I'm chiming in too is he also moved to the same block we lived on. <laughs> so you had us three plus Ryan. So for, so the top four guys in Great Notion all lived on the same block. Ryan moved in right next door to me. And that's when I knew I had to get off the block. <laughs> His <laughs> Wi-Fi was, hey, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that's right. <laughs> so there's something in the water there or something. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So you obviously, you have a direct-to-consumer model, right? A tap room model. Maybe you can just explain, is, was that a conscious thing from the start? Or is that something you've kind of fallen into? For us, I didn't have a plan at the start. I just kind of rolled with it like is that how you're doing it or are you more i think we did because we yeah all... it, it was yeah. a plan from the start we were inspired by like the east coast model of like trillium and treehouse and the idea just the idea not that we could pull it off but just the idea that you know you could make beer and people would come to you for it and that you wouldn't need to sign a distribution agreement and um we you know we started feeling confident early on that we could pull that off and i don't know that we were maybe we were the first in portland to do that i'm I'm not really sure but that was that was kind of what we intended to do at least whether we could pull it off or not but sure enough we did you know we put some pretty you know we brought the hazy ipa to portland and, and also like the pastry stout double stack was perhaps one of the one of the earliest pastry stouts in in town so that our style kind of turned some people off I would say, because um, West Coast IPAs were still king, I think, at the time. It was unique enough that it piqued, it piqued some interest, a lot of interest, and um, people did start coming to us, and we were just doing crowlers at the time, but people would, would line up for crowlers, releases and stuff. So it was, it was pretty promising early on, and then we ended up buying a canning line and, and building a production facility across town. I, th- I think we bought the canning line that the three-way beer from <laughs> oh we did yeah and seventeen <laughs> Chris completely right he, he wasn't going to take no for an answer man <laughs> and was like we've got this canning line and you guys need this definitely Wait, believe, need it that's the year right twenty seventeen yeah. no, no it was yeah it was yeah <laughs> and uh, I, I think too just to add on what what James was saying I think the the distribution laws in Oregon are are terrifying you're you're pretty much locked in for life. 
you know, I remember when we first opened up, like the Columbia guys were in there all the time. Like the Miletus guys were in there all the time. They were our best friends. They were trying to get us to sign something yeah, totally. and going back and like thinking like, wow, we were, we were these newcomers to the game and we had no idea, you know, a lot of the stuff going on. And, you know, I could see young breweries signing these contracts and that just totally screw them over. I'm not saying they were trying to screw us over at all, but I mean, it could have happened. Like A and R reps with like the hottest new hip hop flavor. Right. right. I mean, yeah. that, it was <laughs> those guys pressure, were there yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. They were, they but were, they, they also they liked were. our beer. We were the first ones really in the area doing hazy IPA. So it was new to everyone and they wanted to turn their friends onto it and impress people like, Oh, this is a new style of beer. You got to try. Yeah. It was interesting to kind of just try to push that away gently. Yeah. We, we also just didn't make enough beer that we could have distributed at Good all. Point, we, yeah. When we started yeah. out, we had a, a seven barrel brew house. We had, four fermenters, six bright tanks, but we even tried when we first opened to run two yeast strains. Uh, initially junior and ripe, one was, um, you oh, know, man. 13 to 18 or, or 838 juicy. The other one was like the, the um, I'm blanking on the name the right heady now. Topper yeah, the heady, heady topper. Yeah, the heady topper yeast. And it, we, we figured out pretty quickly that there was no way to do that. Almost immediately we had to order two new uh, fermenters. And then at that point, there was no other place to add any fermenter. So, I mean, it was, it was almost immediately that we started planning this production facility just out of necessity because we didn't have the beer. So we, just to give you a timeline, right? We, you know, we brewed our first beer December, 2015, the end, right? Um, or let's just say we released it January 1st, 2016, we signed a lease. We knew we had to grow much larger and this is a great thing, right? You know, midway through the year and we had a lease signed in December, 2016 for our 20,000 square foot, you know, 30 barrel production brew house. Uh, and then in case anyone cares how long it takes to actually build a brewery lease was signed December, 2016. We didn't open and make our first beer in this new spot till I think the end of March, 2018, so things take a lot of time in this world. And just to add on to that, we signed a, about like a $20,000 hop contract before we had a location. Puts the pressure on, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we were like, we were on the heels of Mike Wright. Uh, it felt like every spot we looked at, he like, oh yeah, Mike was just through here. And he, he was the, the owner of the commons and opened a beautiful place um, um, in the Southeast, which is now where modern times is. Yeah, it's competitive. And I think at the time, a lot of out of state, it's, it felt like a lot of can, uh, California investors were looking to scoop up Oregon warehouse space for cannabis. For weed, yeah. Because of the, the, the laws. It, it just is like they, there was hardly anywhere. I mean, gosh, if, if we wouldn't have found the Mashton, I don't know. I mean, we looked for about a year, I think. For, for a location and thank goodness Paul ran into someone at a wedding <laughs> well in Alberta was our number one location that we mm-hmm. wanted and it yeah we were trying we were like looking at a gas station a different we gas be, station we wanted to be near our homes because we're lazy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I want to be near our house <laughs> I can, well, I'm I can glad we to did that. too because I mean the thought at the time is you know you might get a call at 3 a.m and um 
you know, we, we have gotten plenty of calls at 3 a.m. So it's nice to be <laughs> close the to the day. brewery. <laughs> right. I, but luckily, I don't answer them anymore. <laughs> I had two calls on Christmas Eve. and had uh, one, was, <laughs> one was at 3 a.m., one was at uh, midnight, and I had to go into the brewery at midnight on oh. Christmas Eve. That kind of sucked. Very similar to us, right? I we picked the location because we could walk there. That's that was like purely selfish and not really thinking about it too much more more than that at the time. But um, yeah, but a short commute is awesome, man. It's yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I don't miss long commutes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, I I walk. Yeah, no. It's great not to have to use a car, right? Um. So from from day one, y- you had a very distinct. Uh, like beer lineup. I think you say hazy IPAs and culinary inspired uh, stouts and sours. Um, wh- where do you, um, how did you come up with that? I think we've already talked a little bit about that, but maybe you can just recap that. And, and where's where will that go in the future? Yeah, Andy had the Berliner Weiss process really dialed in. I forget what strain of lacto he was, maybe it was um, Brevis or Planetarium, but um, his Berliners were, were awesome. And I wasn't, I was doing some mixed culture sour stuff, um, like as a home brewer and had basically collected dregs from, you know, favorite sour bottles and had a pretty cool experience just making barley sours. But Andy was on the kettle sour thing, which was up and coming and at that time. And um, so when we opened, we had done um, I think a kettle sour, maybe within the first few brews. And while it was, I believe it was just a Berliner, you know, that's such a great base for experimenting with. Um, so we would continue to make the the Berliner base. And then I would often just kind of modify kegs, like individual kegs to try to come up with new flavors and extracts, essentially, you know, maybe adding maltodextrin or lactose to some and, or fruit puree, back sweetening, playing around with different processes like that. So that was a really early part of our um, development and kind of not much has changed in a way because we're, we're continually trying to figure out how to create new flavors and um, continue to innovate. But we have an incredible team, you know, now uh, where, where it used to just be us. And um, Andy and I used to brew all the beers together at Alberta. When, when the Northwest facility opened, it, it was bittersweet, you know, because we spent so much time together all the time and um but he you know he he has a really good mind for kind of big picture and production so he moved over to across the river to the northwest and managed the production side of things and i stayed uh, at alberta and continued to innovate on the small side of things so you know while we started together we kind of have grown apart we now put so much faith in in our staff to to bring new ideas to light. We have a pretty awesome brew team who continues to impress us with new ideas and recipes where it takes a lot of pressure off of us to come up with new beers all the time, you know? One thing I would add, like er early days, you know, we kind of talked about how we only had four fermenters and we were running out of beer. I mean, we, we went into weekends sometimes, we didn't have an IPA on tap. You know, we're, we're this brewery known for this, uh, two of our IPAs made number, I think, three and five in this blind tasting that Willamette Week did, like real early on, like right away. And and so we'd go on a weekend. These people had read about an IPA. They'd come in, no IPA on tap. We'd have maybe three beers on, and they were like, 
totally not what anybody really wanted to drink at the time. So, you know, I mean, one, one thing James was doing is he was taking like the beers that we had and he was trying to make five beers out of that one beer so that our taps would be interesting on the weekend. And then uh, in addition to that, we had this grand beer release that we were going to do, right? And and we didn't have that much beer. So it's like we had to to make the tap list interesting so that people would show up. So that, you know, that was another thing, you know, James is very good at is taking, taking this base beer, which was once one that I made at home, we called it zest. And it was essentially, it was a kettle sour that I would ferment with bread. And so some of the early batches of like blueberry muffin were fermented with Brett at the brewery, which I don't know why the hell we were doing that. <laughs> it was like a super cool beer. If you, if you could let it sit for three months, it, it, kind of like ate through all the kettle sour and it became this like super bready, like clean beer. But we, it was, we were going through it so fast. It never would get to that point. Maybe you can give us an example of a, a recent beer around innovation. So like how you came up with an idea, James, or maybe your team came to you with an idea. And do, do you get ideas from non beer sort of sources like food or something like that or, or other breweries or just, uh, one thing that is kind of cool that we've really been doing a lot of is this new strain of Saccharomyces that's available. And it's a bioengineered strain of Saccharomyces. And it's engineered to create um, acidity and alcohol at the same time. And in a lot of ways, it's allowed us to, you know, there are certain beers that we still kettle sour, mostly because kettle sour flavor does have with that THP, that like kind of unique kettle sour flavor. Certain beers really lend well to that. But I would say that for the majority of our fruited sours that are not barrel aged, um, we're using a yeast strain from Llama Land called um, Sour Vase. It's really neat, right? That you, you, it doesn't have to be a two-day process. And um, you, you can basically make one beer one day and pH gets as low as it most likely would with a kettle sour. And so that, that yeast coming, coming up with that, I mean, and it's interesting because, you know, as a brewer, you can kind of take inspiration from so many places, but you know, whether it's a hop farmer creating a new hop variety that is exciting, like Rawaka or Nectaron from New Zealand, you know, very exciting varieties that kind of lead to inspiration. There's also a lot of inspiration to take from the scientific community, uh, a company like Llama Land, who was able to innovate a yeast product that can do this. I mean, yeah. it saves us a lot of time. We also don't have to deal with bacteria, you know, any, any kind of, I mean, while we do boil it, um, it's just, it's super simple. Innovation, while it also is part of our company, it's like a craft beer collaboration in a way, innovation is, you know, between the hop farmers, between like uh, unique malt varieties that are coming out, between the the yeast companies giving us these tools to innovate and, and the fruit companies who are doing all this hard work to process fruit and filter it. <laughs> so we don't have to deal with all the like whole fruit. Concentrate it you know? as well, right? <laughs> it's a really cool profession to be involved in because everyone's kind of working towards the same goal. And that is just coming out with really unique beer. I feel like we're just one tiny piece of the big puzzle. But any trends that you're 
you think are gonna Paul Paul has a like a pizza beer idea he wants to talk about. <laughs> I think I think we're uh so like you know there was like the back sweet and sours and then everybody got into like the smoothie beer thing. I think the next thing is like baby food. It's like so <laughs> thick that it's like baby food. With lumps in. <laughs> oh, we've I mean we've been doing low ABV beers. They've they've been selling fairly well. So we're we're taking all of our fairly well-known IPAs and putting the word baby in front of them and lowering the ABV <laughs> by a couple of <laughs> We have baby junior, baby ripe, baby superstars dropping <laughs> in a couple of days. Um, yeah, so those have been going well. I don't know. Um, it, it, I can let these guys hop in on the beer trends, uh, but if you want, you just said any new innovative things and trends. I can talk about it from the non-actual beer product yeah. specific, right? But from the ways of selling them and, and so on, you know, just... In case anyone out there doesn't know, we have a cool new app. <laughs> it <laughs> it came it. out back in April 2020, but we had already been working on it for at least a year or 18 months prior to that. Unfortunately, it cost way more money and took way longer to release than we wanted to, but it was it was unique timing. Let's just phrase it that. It was unique timing that people were stuck at home and that um, people were looking more at their phones and technology picked up and people breweries needed in innovative ways to sell their product because human beings and beer drinkers didn't necessarily want to come out and purchase beer at a brewery in person for risk of COVID. So uh, at coincidentally the right time, we came out with an app where you can buy our beer on this cool new online platform and we'll ship it to you or deliver it to you locally to your door. Or you, if you want, you can also come still pick it up in person. But we're adding some cool new games in there. And I think my point is just making your product fun and having fun ways to sell them is kind of our ethos for 2021. Keep beer funds, our, our new slogan we've kind of launched this year. And so it's not just about having a great beer because there's a billion breweries out there that have a great beer, but you got to stand out and just doing it in a cool, fun way that makes people, you know, kill time while you're stuck at home anyway. Why not play with the app? It's something new to do. It's it's fun and hopefully it'll keep customers coming back. <laughs> well, you got to you gotta be flexible. I, I feel like all these breweries that you see that are going out of business right now, for the most part, are guys that were big guys in the 90s that, that had, you know, five, 10 SKUs and they made them the same way every single time. They didn't change. You know, we're going to make this beer and then figure out a way to sell it. You know, what we like to do is, is all right, what's selling? What are people, you know, even even so far as what are people are liking on Instagram? Like, what are what are they talking about? You know, what even untapped as much as I hate untapped, like you can get a, a sense of of what people like and don't like on untapped. And all right, well, this isn't working as much as we like this beer. This isn't working. Let's move on to the next thing, you know. And just so staying flexible, always never settling. Yeah, I, I, I will add to just kind of what these guys were saying. Um, you know, while I, I think Andy was joking about the baby food thing, but um, the puree. Was I though? <laughs> the puree thing is is definitely, I think one of the things that, I don't know if it's unfortunate. Maybe it is. I don't really know. It really, in some ways, really challenges craft beer to to have a beer that's like, 25 30% fruit puree you know um <laughs> it's whereas you know you you know you're making a 8 uh, 8% beer and you're um adding 25% puree to it to so you end up with a 6% beer and um you know that look around the glass where it's all like chunky <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. like it's not clean and that's not what craft beer used to look like 
when you would finish a glass, like especially in like coming from the wine, like, you know, legs, right? On a beautiful glass of wine. Yeah, yeah. Right? This yeah. is a different kind of legs. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a legs that just straight up stays. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and man, I, I really don't know if that's going to go away. I, I, I do think that the smoothie style beer is going to stick kind of like hazy IPAs stuck because people seem to really enjoy drinking things that don't taste like beer. Well, it's not the beer nerds that love those styles. It's the cannabis industry folks and it's people that weren't accustomed to beer. I don't know, maybe smoothie heads love it, but we've seen such a humongous influx of cannabis industry and just weed heads that now buy our beer every week. And thank you. We love them, but they love the smoothie beers, dude, right? They're the ones buying up all the 450 North, man. I think it's interesting. I mean, they, they really do taste like a smoothie. They're thick and bit of a departure from beer but um the fact that it's still six percent and you can get your daily fruit intake <laughs> well hey keep you healthy and get a buzz at the same time right. i guess that's you know one way to look at it i do think that trend is going to stick around for a little while so adam something that's been interesting for us now that we have a place right across the street from you in ballard the beer that sells well in seattle is different than the beer that sells well in Portland. It's like Ballard, they like they like kind of a little bit of everything in Ballard. Georgetown, it's like they like sours, they like our lagers, and they, they seem to like like West Coast IPA more. It's just different, different stuff sells better up there than Portland. It's it's just such a weird thing. Like like more classic styles in a way, yeah. Right. In Portland, when you're various different locations in Portland, do you see a difference or is it all very consistent? Yeah, definitely a, li- a little bit of a difference. Not so much between Northwest and Alberta, but I know that like Beaverton s- tends to be more of like an IPA place than, than our other, you know, we, we tend to sell more fruited stuff at the other locations. But yeah, I mean, we can sell something really well in Portland and send it to Seattle and it doesn't move nearly in the same way right like overripe like a it's like a fruited uh fruited ipa like sell it like sells out here every single time you send it to seattle and it it sits long i mean it's not that it doesn't sell it just it's not like a huge thing up there yeah, for people who don't know we uh, in seattle our, our tasting rooms are what 100 yards away no not even 100 yards away 50 yards away we're neighbors <laughs> we should get a zip line or something between the buildings <laughs> how uh, when we first opened how how was it with your staff were they like oh f great notion moving it right across the street or were they all pretty open to it how, how did it all go i didn't hear any of that i don't believe there was any of that <laughs> they were psyched I yeah mean, i know a lot of people were talking about how it's gonna be great to have more great food so close to us yeah yeah unfortunately that's not happening yet but <laughs> eventually <laughs> i mean fortunately we've had a long relationship between our breweries and a lot yeah. of our know each other and a lot of mutual respect. Are you seeing people jump back and forth across the street yet? Or no? I, we're not open yet for tap room, but I know we are for takeout. Are, are people going back and forth at all a little bit? Uh, well, remember we just, uh, we've got a very limited outside space right now as well. So I think we're going to see that when, you know, when people go back to bars as such, you know, when there's not so much restrictions. And I think that's going to be a great, a great kind of thing. 
that we can yeah. we can do. I guess I was just wondering if you're seeing people sitting outside in your spot that has like a four pack of your beer to go plus a four pack of our beer to go or anything like that. Yeah, no, that would be fun. I, I if if we do see that, I'll take a picture and send it to you. Okay. <laughs> so I, I got a fun. funny thing that's to say. So I went in and uh, when I was up in Seattle a few weeks ago, met the staff at our at the Ballard location, which I had never met um, the guy that was working. And I asked him if if they had seen you around or whatever. He's like, oh, no, I don't really know any of those guys. You know, I haven't met them yet. And I was like, well, you, have you seen like this British guy? He wears glasses. And he's like, oh, no, I don't. And then I showed him the three-way can. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. That was when I had hair, right? That was, that was when I... <laughs> That's what hats are for, right? Y- yes, yes. This industry does it to you, right? You, 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 oh, yeah, man. man. That I can't wait kids. to get up there and and bar hop again, though, man, or brewery hop, dude. I just, I literally can't wait, man. It's gonna be fun. Dude, I yeah. felt very safe in your spot and and tasting through those beers. You're making some amazing beer, and I I should have made it a stipulation of doing this podcast to send us some oh. of that Wembley. That Wembley was amazing. <laughs> I'll, yeah okay. and andy came back and he was raving about that and i was like man i gotta check that out you didn't get any to take with you did you um i did and i think i came by uh, and like you guys weren't open yet or something okay we'll have to figure something out on that one i could probably take care of that <laughs> hey adam I'm, I'm gonna flip that question on you what what do you see as upcoming trends so you said like not beer not tasting like beer what like seltzer is one thing we're seeing right that i think that's like one extreme, that's probably the opposite extreme of the fruited slushy sort of beer. I I still, and obviously everybody knows it, but lager growth, right? But it's that's more incremental rather than a massive, a massive thing, right? I, I think we're seeing that grow, but it's 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 a slow, slow train. I, I still think about, you know, if eighty percent of beer in the country is fizzy yellow stuff. How do we? How do we, as craft, really give somebody something that that is a better option than that? That they're in, attracted to um, in some way. So, I mean, I don't see it as a trend, but I see that as a challenge for craft, right, to grow because I think that's the opportunity. I, I I don't know how to do it. I don't think seltzer is the way that we would bring people in to beer necessarily, but we we might do. I mean, we we've come up with a seltzer concept that draws from brewing like we dry hop with fruit right we use candy syrup in it and um i, I quite like them actually at the right time right but then also like I'm, i've got a taste test on lagers next which is uh, <laughs> the next thing i'm gonna do um i don't think there's an obvious embryonic sort of thing that you can say right i think this is gonna gonna grow it's it's savory beers pizza beers pizza <laughs> chicken wing beers <laughs> Do you think craft beer needs to bring the price point on lagers down? Like I saw, I saw a brewery. I I can't remember right now, but it's a brewery that I respect that was selling a four pack of sixteen ounce lagers for ten bucks. And I was like, you know, that's it. I it, it struck me because I was like, now that's a good way to make someone make a different decision at the at the store. You know, to have the price be a little bit more approachable. The problem with that, obviously, is that it's hard for us to make make even ends make meet money. yeah 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 <laughs> even even pay for it that's um, really cheap yeah yeah but the one thing i am thinking about like if we've lost draft right for the last year that's 30 percent, right before covid the industry had i think 35 or 40 percent excess capacity you know the ba does that survey every year how much 
capacity that industry has versus how much we produced. And it's always like 30, 40% more capacity than we're actually using. Well, one way of using that is lagers, right? And so ringing down the price will make it more accessible and there's capacity in the industry. So it kind of feels like there's something, there's an opportunity there. But like for both of our breweries, that's going to be really hard to do because you know, we'll half our capacity if we move to a lager breweries, you know, if not more. <laughs> Just to wrap up, uh, what maybe uh, let people know what the future is uh, for Great Notion and uh, what they can expect from you in the, the, the next couple of years. Well, we just got some new fermenters in and we're trying to brew enough beer to support the, the exciting growth that we'll see up in Washington because we definitely have a, a ton of new fans up there near, near you guys and so on. Just start shipping. Yeah, in Washington, right? Direct-to-consumer is is definitely where we're headed, and that's the reason we developed the app. I mean, if you take it back five years, our goal was to sell beer direct to customers, right? And we're continuing that today. That's why we built the app, because we were hoping to sell it direct to customers um, in other parts of America also. But now we're just kind of fighting with all the different state laws, because you might have started researching us. I feel like we were texting about it, but, you know, it's... It's not like wine where you can ship. It's not like a T-shirt where you can ship it throughout the country. Every state has different laws, and you have to navigate these laws uniquely. Many of them have these weird tied house laws, and unless it's a reciprocal state. Basically, Oregon can ship to some states if those states let you ship to Oregon, right? And then there's a lot of others where we can't. Like, So we can never ship beer direct from Oregon to California, for example, or Oregon to New York, for example. So we have to navigate these weird ways and we're trying to find some cool loopholes and it's not happening anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, but luckily there's 10 states that allow us to ship into it. But now we're figuring out all the weird things like, yeah, we're allowed to ship there, but you're only allowed like two, four packs a month per person. And so we're oh. deciding, is that worth it or not? How to keep track of it all. Yeah. And within some states, they even have different laws per county within the state. So it's it's a lot of new, unique, exciting challenges to, <laughs> to try to solve. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, so thanks for your time, everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, guys. Really appreciate it. And we'll get yeah. you on a, a catch a flight with Polly sometime too, so we can reverse <laughs> all the same questions. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> thanks, guys. So it was a lot of fun talking with the uh, Great Notion guys. They're great. They're a bundle, bundle of fun. Uh, and looking forward to sitting down and actually have a beer with them at their spot, uh, hopefully before too long. The great takeaway that I've always had with uh, Great Notion is that they approach this business and they approach their tone of voice and their beer differently than everybody else. And it's, you know, really goes to show that there's no one way of being a successful brewery. Currently they're operating a very unique business model, very different to most breweries, certainly in the Pacific Northwest where they have a handful of tasting rooms down in Portland. They have two tasting rooms now, two locations now up here in Seattle, one in Georgetown, then one kind of kitty corner to our brewery in Ballard especially now during COVID, like those two spaces in Seattle opened during the COVID era, but it's certainly their model is to kind of get themselves as close to their fans as possible. And you know, that's, that's admirable. And then the other piece of it is their commitment to kind of e-commerce. They have an app to buy their beer and you know, there's loyalty programs and fun games in there. It's a, a lot of fun to play around with their app. That's not something anybody else is really doing right now. Yeah, I don't know of another brewery app do you never heard of it and it's so i mean it's really kind of visionary in a sense and it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes for them and see how that might influence our industry and this kind of tees up the question for you adam is you know certainly we come to market in a unique way and we 
uh, pride ourselves on kind of unique propositions that you know we offer our breadth and our glass backwards. But given that we can all kind of do different things and be successful breweries, how do you learn from other breweries? And you know, what are some ideas that you pick up and you know best practices? You know, certainly in the COVID era, it's something that you know, we've talked about on this podcast. Is what can we learn from each other so that we all do better? Because we are all in this together. Craft needs to stick together. So. Uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you think about that relationship. Totally. Craft is we need to make sure that as the number of breweries in the United States grows, we make sure that we don't lose focus of what we're trying to do. We're not, we should be working together as craft. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm on one of the Brewers Association um, committees. Um, I, th- I think we have to bring craft forward as a, as a whole and the, and I truly do believe that the rising uh, rising suds lift all breweries, right? You know, and um, and we've seen that in in Ballard, right? We've seen as more breweries have come in, we've all been more successful, which has been uh, on on the whole, um, which which has been great. But in terms of best practices and ideas, I think similar to what Great Notion have done, you can often take best practices or ideas from other industries. And you, you need to be always mindful of that. Just as I was talking in episode four about always being conscious of potential influences or potential ideas for new beers, right? We, we need to be always conscious of new opportunities for the brewery. So we thought it would be a pretty fun thing to, to make a, a Rad Ruben, right? We, <laughs> uh, no other brewery had done that before. And... Um, basically partnered up with um one of the l- local and largest in the US I think um electric bike manufacturers and basically put our branding on onto that with with them we had that as an incentive for some of our uh, distributors as uh, last last year so they got i think was it were they all crikey uh, bikes i think it was really cool crikey bikes yeah yeah so i mean that didn't exist when we did it you know and um the interesting thing in beer is that nothing is not much is protectable like so you always have to be thinking of the next thing so you always have to be conscious of the next thing and be coming up with the next thing because uh you can't put a copyright on being the only beer electric bike or whatever you know and that's kind of the beauty of of beer to some extent it's not like we're making rigets with a patent on them you know it's like there's um it's all about creation craft coming up with something new and uh i have no idea how i got to this part of the conversation <laughs> talking about bikes but i did get a crikey electric bike and i i love it actually it's <laughs> it's pretty cool and it's pretty fast yeah, great thing to see adam scooting around between the breweries on his bike yeah yeah, yeah when i'm allowed out and i i swear i'm gonna get t but i shouldn't say that I'm, i think i'm gonna get t-boned at some point i'm always paranoid i'm gonna go across a junction and not look or something but um you you heard you you heard that here first <laughs> I, I sincerely hope not but uh yeah i i don't go on the main roads i don't because <laughs> of that well no that was a lot of fun with um great notion um they get inspiration a lot of the times from culinary means right and um i think a lot of a lot of their beers really do push the boundaries so they're pushing the boundaries within beer but also within a business model within beer so it's um it's exciting to watch and it's great to be be friends with them you know yeah. and for a, a season where we kind of got into the role of voice and the role of perspective and how that influences 
how you approach business in this crazy new world. Um, I think Great Notion is a, a perfect interview to end on because they have a different perspective. They've rolled with the punches. They're going their own way. And uh, they've got a great chance to kind of continue to do great things. And it's, you know, they're great guys. They make great beer and uh, they're paving the way. So it'll be fun to watch. And it's really great that they're just across the street now. And so that wraps up season three, right? So we're already working on season four. We'll probably be a few weeks break as we're finishing up those podcast episodes. And then and then we'll be back again with a similar thing, a weekly weekly release. So keep an eye on our social media and we'll we'll let you know when when the when the new ones are new ones are ready. This was the Rubens Cyclast podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at adam at rubensbrews.com or you can reach out to Matt as well at matt at rubensbrews.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, please give us a rating if you think we've deserved it. That will help more people get to learn about this podcast. I also want to say thank you to Eric Johnson and Quiet Cody Studios for the music to this show and its production. And so until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.